0: I want to go for us. We're going to start in the book of James. We're going to jump right in here in just a little bit. What I want to do is I want to talk to you about, really, Ryan and Lindsay Simchenko. Ryan and Lindsay Simchenko are our missionaries in East Asia, and so the coronavirus has forced them to just go to Thailand to get some respite and to just be safe. They have three, three uh, kids. They have a, a brand new baby on January the 18th, Valerie, Rose, and Ruby, and so they are in, uh, in, in Thailand. What I'd love to do is I'd love to just pray for them. They are missionaries with, the, with Crew, formerly known as Campus Crusade for Christ. Beautiful family, great family. And I uh, just want to go ahead and lift them up to you. There's a lot of things going on with the coronavirus. I want to make sure that everybody is safe. And, uh, of course, I want to lift up Ryan and Lindsay and their ministry and their kids. So let's pray for, for them right now. Lord, I thank you for Ryan and Lindsay. And I am so grateful for who they are. I'm grateful for the, the, the call that you have on their life. And I'm grateful for the opportunity that you uh, will are doing through them and in them. I love them. I'm grateful for their, for their kids. We're grateful for the addition of Rose. Thank you for Valerie and Ruby. And we just lift them up to you right now. We pray that you would keep them safe as they are in Thailand. We pray that you would um, help them to stay f- clear of this coronavirus. And God, just watch over them in every aspect possible. We pray for their ministry. We know that they are true disciples over there, and Lord, some great things are going on in their, in their midst, so I just pray, God, that you would take care of them, uphold them with your righteous right hand, make sure that they know that their church family here in North Carolina is praying for them, and uh, Lord, we just give them to you and ask for your protection upon them and their family. In Jesus' name, amen. If I was to sit there and say, hey, we're going to have a game, or we're going to have like... Uh, We're going to have a question. If I was to say the game was, finish the question, who wants to be blank? If I was to walk into an elementary school and I had an assembly and there was an elementary school full of people and I was to ask the question, who wants to be blank? And then if I was to fill in the blank and say, who wants to be a professional basketball player? I think that I'd have a couple of hands. If I was to say that, I'd, that who wants to be a professional football player, I'd have a couple more hands, some the same, some different. And if I was to say who wants to be a professional soccer player, we'd have some as well. If I was to take the same thing and go to a high school situation and ask the question who wants to be and then fill in the blank, the answers might tendency, have, have a tendency to be a little bit more mature. The answers could be something like, who wants to be a doctor? And I'd have a couple of people raise their hand. And I'd probably say, who wants to be a teacher, have a couple of people raise their hand? And who wants to go into the military, I'd have a couple of people raise their hand? But if we were taking the same question, and we were walking to a church setting, and the answer to the question was, who wants to be a hypocrite? I don't think we'd have a lot of hands that would go up, right? But I think if we're all honest, we might have more examples than we want. To admit, and so see the book of James is going to help us to take true, genuine faith and put it in practice. So that statement is not something that is true. I, I think I, I I believe that what God wants to do more in our life right now that we can even ask or imagine. This year, what we've talked about, you've heard us talk about it several times. As we want to be disciples who are making disciples. That's really what we want to be about here at Northwest Community Church. We've used the words, um, pray, grow, and share. We want those three, th- three concepts, those three words, to be really, really uh, descriptive of your, your following of Jesus. We want your prayer life to be deep and robust. We want, your gro- we want you to grow in the knowledge and, and, and wisdom of the Lord, and we want you to be able to share your faith with everyone and anyone you come into contact with, and be prepared to do that. Those are the words that we're sort of shaping this year and we've talked about them and we've used message series that have helped rally behind those three words and help us to understand that. The book of James is going to help us in our pursuit to live out our faith and I'm really excited about doing that. Many of you have sat there and have even come up to me and said, I love the book of James. I'm so familiar with the book of James and I love that you've said that and I love that you believe that and I love that you've even studied that before but again what I want to do is I want to challenge you, all of us, to enter into reading this book as if it might be just the first time we've ever read it. That God would teach us something new and God would allow us to take our faith and put it into practice like we've never even imagined it could, it could happen. What I want us to know in our head and in our heart is that what God is after more than anything, what God is after more than anything is the deepest, most profound life that we could ever ask or imagine. He is not the enemy of life. That's not who he is. He is a giver, and where he, where he takes things from us, he takes them from us, in essence, to give things to us. So sometimes God takes things away, but he takes in order to give, and give the life that he's, that's talked about in John chapter 10, verse, verse 10. I've come to give you life and give it to you full. That's the abundant life that what the scripture has been teaching us about. Well, how in the world do we have that abundant life? How can we go about having that life? W- what takes place? First and foremost, we must understand that Jesus is enough, that he satisfies. That's first and foremost, because really, when we get down to it, there is one story in the Bible, and it's a story about Jesus reconciling human beings to himself. That's the one story. There are many things. That happened in that. But ultimately, when you hold up the Bible and you ask the question, how many stories are in the Bible? Really, it comes down, it's just one. That's it. Jesus bringing us into a relationship with God the Father. That's purely pure and simple what the Bible is all about. And so everything that we do, whether it's Colossians or Jonah or Nehemiah, some series that we've been doing lately, that is the goal of sitting here going, we want, we want to to, to sit there and resonate, and marinate, and, and fix our eyes that Jesus simply is enough. Another way that he does this, this abundant life, is he basically goes up in scriptures and he fills it with some things that say, hey, listen, I don't want you to do this. I don't want you to go there. I want you to stay away from this. He gives us warnings of what not to do. Thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt. What are they there for? They're there to warn us where we find our satisfaction. They are warnings. Hey, listen, Matt, listen, Matt, I don't want you to do this. I don't want you to go over here. What I want you is I want you to go over here. And the Bible has many things in there, has many concepts, many many lessons that we can learn. So it says, hey, I need to stay away from that. This is what I want to do. So what does God do? He woos us to try to help us to understand that, hey, he is the greatest joy. He is our satisfaction. And he stands up a lot of times and says, don't do that. James is a book where God, through the, through, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is screaming to us, saying, hey, listen, I, I want you to watch your tongue. I want you to be slow to speak. I want you to watch your anger. I want you to not look for worldly comforts. I want you to be careful not to play favorites. I want you to know what pure and undefiled religion is. I want you to know what these things are so that you will, you will do them. And I, I would say this that I personally am very, very convicted and very concerned over what we say and what we do. There should not be a, ver- a drastic dichotomy between the church of Jesus Christ, where we say this and we do this. Personally, very convicted over that. And I think that it's a routine example, a routine effort for us, a routine evaluation tool, is for us to always ask the question and for us always to approach the scripture and say, hey, listen, am I saying this but doing this? I think it's a, it's a common thing or it should be a frequent thing in our lives where we ask those questions on a regular basis. And I think James is going to put those things before us. I remember being in the fifth grade, we were studying the skeletal system. My fifth grade teacher at upstate New York, Chango Elementary School, Mr. Roach was my teacher. He was like a fire hydrant. He walked like this. If you were running in the hallway, he would come up and give you the spark. He'd take it right here, put his hand right there, and he said, don't let me see you running in the hallway again. And all of a sudden, you'd be like this, oh, oh, oh. I don't think you could do that today. But Mr. Roach was just like, man, he was just a, like like five foot five, you know, just a massive ball of muscle. And so he, he, we were doing the skeletal system in the fifth grade, and he said, um, he said basically, uh, what, what, what I do every year with my class is I go find a raccoon that's been killed on the road, and I take it and put it in a trash bag, and uh, I boil it, and we put it back together. I'm not kidding. This is what he does. And so he gets a... We put a raccoon, and so you can go into his room and up on top of the shelf, you see like, you know, 1980 and 1981 and 1982, and I'm like, man, there's a bunch of raccoons in here. And so this is what we would do. We were doing this. Other stuff. So we would get all of the raccoon, and we would have his class. We'd have to put this thing back together. Well, there was the process of getting the raccoon together or process of getting it. And so he had the, the bones in this container like this, and he said, I want you to come see the bones, but what I don't want you to do is I do not want you to come up, stick your nose in the container, it's like a giant mayonnaise container, plastic like bucket like this. Don't come up to the container, don't put your nose in it, and do not sniff. It's soaking in ammonia. And sure enough, I was like the third person, and I came up, I stuck my whole face in it, it went like this. It's like, what happened to you? Well, I had to go back to third grade. That's all I got to say. <laughs> I went back to the third grade. I had to go back to third grade and do third, fourth, and fifth all over again because I was sitting there like, whoa. <laughs> and so here's what, here's what the scripture is teaching us. He's like, hey, hey, that's not good for you. I don't want you to do that. I went to PE class. Uh, this, okay, I went to PE class and I sat down on this sideline, all by myself, and did not play any football that day. (laughs) What I want you to know, what I want you to know is that here's what we see in the text, here's what we see in this text, is that God has designed the walk for us to walk, and he simply knows what is best. He simply knows when we're coming too close to the line. He knows what is best for us, he satisfies, and he's like, listen, I want you to live this way and I'm going to do everything I can to help give you the information you need to do this. I just need you to obey. And so if I was to summarize this right now, summarize the series, we'll see this, I think, when we go through verse 1. We're only going to cover verse 1 today. When I, I think what we're going to see right now is, number one, we're going to see that the God of the universe can change anyone. Please, somebody say Amen. The God of the universe can absolutely change anyone. Please do not ever think that that is not possible. It is possible. He is God. He gets that title. He can change absolutely anyone. And because he can change anyone, then what I want us to say is, okay, he knows what is best. So therefore, my goal for this series, or our goal for this series, is that you and I, when it comes to genuine faith and living it out, that we would strive for progress, not perfection. that that the book of James is gonna bring up several things in our life and through the power of the Holy Spirit it's gonna bring up stuff that's not even in the text, but stuff that we all need to address practically as we live out our faith. And what I'm hoping and what I'm praying is that we would make progress in each of those areas in our life over the next 10 to 13 weeks. For the glory of his name and for your good and for my good. And so let's go ahead and let's jump into... James uh, chapter one, verse one. Like I said, we're just going to do um, one verse today, and then next week we've got a lot to talk about in terms of trials and and how we count those as joy. Uh, Verse verse one says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. So the first thing we have to ask here, listen, this is a t-ball question. I'm not trying to set you up. But I want to ask you the question, who wrote the book of James? Okay, James, very good. If you said Paul, I'd be really, really, really offended. So let me just make sure we understand. So James wrote the book of James. He is writing a letter to the churches. Right? He's writing a letter to the folks that have been dispersed. We'll get to that in a minute. And so it's James who wrote this. Now, most of the time, if you look at the scriptures and you look at other parts of the Bible, there's several Jameses that are in the Bible. There's James, the son of Zebedee. And there's all different other kinds of James. Well, right now, we just have James. He didn't identify himself as the son of anyone. And so, it's just simply James. You might ask the question, why did he not say he was the half-brother of Jesus? Because when we study, we also know that James is the half-brother of Jesus. Why didn't he say that? Well, here's the, um, here's the, the thing. If you're the half-brother of Jesus, everybody knows you're a half-brother of Jesus, Oh, that, that's Jesus's, I mean, that, that, that's the guy that's going around telling everybody he's the son of God. And so when he says that he's James, and he refers to himself as a servant. And so James defines himself as a servant. And we'll walk, walk through that in just a minute as he calls himself a servant. But before he became a servant, we need to know a little bit about who he was before he became a servant. You see, James did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. So yes, James grew up in the same home with Jesus. They were together. They probably played together. They were out there. They were all all together. And then he looked at him and said, I don't believe that you're, you're the Messiah. And when Jesus was around 30 years old, his earthly ministry had started. And so what was really kind of going on, it was kind of like a military experience with he, with Jesus and his siblings, his family, so to speak. Jesus was out teaching and preaching. He would come back in. It was like a military. It was like intermittently they had a relationship together. So Jesus is in and out of their lives. The 12, the inner circle of Jesus, has none of his brothers are a part of that inner circle. His disciples are part of the inner circle. And his ministry began, he's teaching, he's preaching, and uh, his family, they were not having it. They were like, no, 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 you're, you're not. You are not the son of God. You, you, you are actually crazy. You, you have lost your mind. Now, I got four kids, and I can imagine if one of them stood up and said something really outlandish, they would say, you are insane. That's crazy. You've you've got your your kids, and you can see that happening. Here's what he says in Mark 3.21. This is what takes place. It says, and when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, stop him. Like, what are you doing? And they, for they were saying, he is out of his mind so James looks over at his brother and says, hey Jude, I thought that was funny. For those of you that don't know, Jude is also James's brother, and he also wrote the book of Jude, and so he said, you know, hey Jude, don't make it bad, take a sad song, make, no I'm just kidding, okay, all right, all right, all right, keep going, keep going. So he looks at his brother, looks at his brother and he says, Jude, don't you remember when Jesus, don't you remember when he said and then Jude looks at him and says, no, nah, he didn't say that, I said that. Well, well, don't you remember when he came late for a No, he didn't do that either. Oh my gosh, he's the Messiah. Could he be the Messiah? Could he be the Son of God? I remember when I was uh, three or four years old, my brother and I were in Woolworths. We were in two grocery carts, we're 12 months apart. And so Will was here and Matt was here. I called him Wool and he called me Bat. We're sitting there in these carts. Will reaches out his hand and says, let me pull you closer to me so that we can get, you can be next to me. So dad had my brother, my mom had me, they turned their back, Will reaches out his hand, I lean out my hand, he pulls me, the front wheels stay still, the back goes over. I go down, I am hit the floor, I'm bleeding all over my face, I remember like it was yesterday. We ran next door to this uh, emergency room And all of a sudden, they're cleaning me up, they're x raying my head. Next thing you know, we're getting stitches right here, getting stitches right between my eyes. And the doctor looked at me and he goes, You are Batman. And everything changed for me right there. (laughs) I mean, seriously, I went home and for three days, I told everybody, I'm Batman. And my brother's like, Okay, you're crazy. Because he's got this like tool belt thing and all that. You're, you're, not, you're, you're crazy, Matt. You're crazy. It, it, the point of the story is here, Jesus is, G, James is, is, is looking at Jesus who's saying, I am the Messiah. I'm the son of God. And the family are going like, no, you're not. You're crazy. That's not true. And then something happened and something changed. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse three, tells us what happened. 1 Corinthians 15, one through through seven, here's what it says. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you were being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. Here, look at verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins, in accordance with the scriptures. Verse 4, that he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. So he appeared before Peter, then he appeared before the disciples. Then he appeared to more than 500 believer brothers at one time. Most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. And this right here is where everything took place and everything changed in James' life. That's why James introduces himself as James, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the resurrected Jesus, his brother, appeared before him and showed him, I am who I say that I am. I am who I am. James was like, wow, wow resurrected Jesus I got one thing to say you win you win that's the ultimate trump card right there James puts all his chips in and he says that I am a servant of the Lord Jesus two things I want to show you about what I see when you say I'm a servant this declaration of servant tells me a lot about God I know we're going to talk about a lot about James we're talking about James but when I see James introducing himself as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, I cannot help but think that there is the God in heaven who is standing there constantly with his arms wide open and say, you come to me and I'll fill you. You come to me and I'm ready to satisfy you with everything that you've ever had. Your questions, your doubts, your fears, your failures, your insecurities, I'm here and I'm waiting to take care of you and to fill you and to show you exactly who you were created to be. And when I see that James, who was a skeptic, who doubted, who did not believe the person that was in his home, who then came to believe, I stand here and say to you that Jesus could change anyone. Anyone. And I'm so grateful that James is an example of that, and I'm so grateful that I'm an example of that, and many of you are too. This is the picture of the God that we serve. He gets so wrapped up, and he calls himself, no, I'm not Jesus' brother. I don't want to be identified as a brother. I am a servant of the Most High. That's who I am. Because when we encounter and when we spend time in the presence of God, this is what takes place. We become image bearers of the one that we serve. And here's what he sees. He gets radically changed. And the humility that Jesus has is transposed and transforms James where James introduces himself as a servant of Jesus. Because that's who Jesus is. Mark 10 45 says, for the son of man came to serve. not For the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. And James sees that and is overwhelmed by that. And he becomes a sibling, sibling turns a servant, an antagonist, turns an apologist, a passive observer, turns a passionate follower. What a gracious God that we serve, and a patient God to sit there and see that Jesus is waiting for us because he knows exactly what's best for us. Some of you right now, you've not said yes to Jesus, but you've said yes to heaven. And that is dangerous, fearful for you to live in that way yep, I said yes to heaven, I want to go to heaven, but you haven't said yes to Jesus, and I'm sitting here telling you right now, there's a radical, radical difference. And James did not say yes to heaven, he said yes to Jesus. And it changed him. It changed him. What do we see here? How are we going to apply this? How how are we going to apply this text? Well, here's, here's a couple of things. Here's what James, here's what takes place in James's life. James, basically, after these words are penned, after um, basically what takes place is the church is going and growing like crazy, we come into the New Testament, we come into the New Testament, Acts chapter 2, Pentecost is going on, radical people are coming to faith in Christ all over the place. People are coming to faith in Christ. In droves, there's 3,000, then there's 5,000, the churches, and upwards of 18,000 to 20,000 people at this time. And basically, who he's writing to is he's writing to these people who have been dispersed because persecution sets in and they disperse. So these are Jewish believers. They're Jewish believers, and they are spread out all over the world. James has now become, in Acts chapter 12 and 15, we will not read it, he has become a leader in the Jerusalem church. He's there, he writes a letter, and he's getting this letter out to people that are all over the world. There's 20-some there's thousand people all over the place. Most of these people um, are, are, like I said, Jewish believers. Later in Acts chapter 6, um, Stephen is stoned to death, the first martyr. What is, takes place at this time is soon after Stephen's persecution, or St- right after Stephen's martyrdom, Um, they were fleeing all over the place. And as as James is writing the word, basically what they did is they came, they got James, they took James, they threw him off the temple mount. He did not die. Somebody took a club and cracked his skull in. He still did not die. And they came again to do it one more time. And right before he was doing it, he was praying for the people that were taking his life. And that's the end of James's life. That's the end of his life. So what do we do with this letter? How was this letter circulated? The letter was circulated plain and simple by a runner. Okay, The letter was circulated by a runner. So what would happen is is that James took the letter right now. They would give it to a runner. And the runner would go out to where all of the, the Christians, the Jewish Christians, had been persecuted and were sent out. They called the dispersion, the 12 tribes of Israel. These are Jewish people. Really important fact right here that this letter has a lot of um, uh, language that is written along the lines of to Jewish people. And it goes right along with Matthew's gospel because Matthew is written to a Jewish audience. Which is fantastic because we're studying the Sermon on the Mount in our women's Bible studies and that goes t- together beautifully. Some of the language that's used in the book of James is some of the language used in Matthew because those two connect because the audience is the same. It is a Jewish audience. So here here we come. How did we get the word out? How did we get the word out? So he basically said, hey, we're gonna take runners and we're gonna send them out and they're gonna take the word and they're gonna stand and they're gonna go ahead and they're gonna read. And they would read the entire book in one setting. So here's what we're going to do this morning to close our time together. What we're going to do in order to understand all that they did and really understand this letter and this book as we get ready to go through the next several weeks is what we're going to do is I want to, get, I want to challenge you to get your copy of Scripture right now, the whole book of James, and we are going to read the entire book of James in its entirety, one chapter at a time. I want you to follow along, whether it's on a device, whether it's in your, in your journals, or whether it's in your Bible. We are going to do what they did back then in 44 AD. This is one of the earliest accounts that was ever written. It's in the back of the Bible. But it's one of the first accounts that we have. After the ascension and resurrection of Jesus. Which means that. It was written 12 years. After the, the, the resurrection of Christ. Which means that. People who saw it. Were there and could corroborate. His letter. So what I want us to do. Is I am praying. That the Lord would use this book. But specifically this time right now. So you just sit. And you follow along as we read James chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. Chapter 1.
1: James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Cannot all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world.
2: Chapter 2. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, Or, sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? is dead
3: chapter three not many of you should become teachers my brothers for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness for we all stumble in many ways and if anyone does not stumble in what he says he is a perfect man able to able also to bridle his whole body if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us we guide their whole bodies as well pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace.
4: Chapter 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Or do you suppose it's no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealousy over the spirit that makes us dwell in us, but he gives us more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Chapter 5.
5: You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another's brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray.
0: Our goal is plain and simple for this series. Our goal this this year is to realize and to recognize that the God of the universe can change us, that there are things that so easily ensnare us and, and, and weight us down, as Hebrews says. James is an example that the God of creation can change anyone. Therefore, our goal for this series is progress, not perfection, and I'm asking King Jesus to do that in each and every one of us, for our good and his glory. I love you guys. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for the beautiful word and I thank you for this book. Many of us who have grown up in the church have known this book and heard this book quoted many times. It is the most quoted book in the Bible in some regards. As we stand here, Lord, and we... As we go through this series, we pray that you would use it in a a brand new way in our lives. Lord, I pray that um, as you reveal to us areas of our life where we are saying one thing and doing another, may you rebuke us, but may we see you with your arms wide open asking us to run to you and realizing that it is you through the power of your spirit that will help us to change and address the things that need to change and address because you deserve it. James realized that you deserve it. He came to realize that. That you deserve us being a servant. So let us today be servants of you and let us do so with genuine faith for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen.